Today's reading is from Romans 4, 13 through 25. The promise to Abraham and to his descendants that he would inherit the world didn't come through the law, but through the righteousness that comes from faith. If they inherit because of the law, then faith has no effect and the promise has been canceled. The law brings about wrath. But when there isn't any law, there isn't any violation of the law. That's why the inheritance comes through faith so that, will be, so that it will be on the basis of God's grace. In that way, the promise is secure for all of Abraham's descendants, not just for those who are related by law, but also for those who are related by the faith of Abraham, who is the father of all of us. As it is written, I have appointed you to be the father of many nations. So Abraham is our father in the eyes of God in whom he had faith, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that don't exist into existence. When it was beyond hope, he had faith in the hope that he would become the father of many nations in keeping with the promise God spoke to him, that's how many descendants you will have. Without losing faith, Abraham, who was nearly 100 years old, took into account his own body, which was as good as dead, and Sarah's womb, which was dead. He didn't hesitate with the lack of faith in God's promise, but he grew strong in faith and gave glory to God. He was fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. Therefore, it was credited to him as righteousness. But the scripture that says it was credited to him wasn't written only for Abraham's sake. It was written also for our sake. Because it is going to be credited to us too. It would be credited to those of us who have faith in the one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was handed over because of our mistakes and he was raised to meet the requirements of righteousness for us. This is the word of the Lord. Kids, you are dismissed to King's Quest while the rest of us remain seated. Thank you, Lori, for that reading. My name is Daniel Long. I'm one of the lead pastors here at Grace. Grateful to be with you. I'm going to pray and then we will um, get started. So let's pray together, asking that God would speak to us, that we would hear. Father, Son, and Spirit, you speak to us, you are faithful to us, your grace is abundant, you give us new life. Thank you that that is true. Help us as your people to listen to receive from you the life that you give. Help us to be transformed this morning as we hear you speak. God, I ask that you would be the one who guides our lives, our conversations, even our thoughts this morning. And I pray that you'd speak a word to each one of us. You know us. You, you know who we are. You have made us. Thank you that 
that you know us. Thank you also that you are a God who wants to be known. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So last week we started a new series um, looking at the Apostles' Creed, and we're going to be spending the next two months in the Apostles' Creed, both in sermons but also in our life groups. Now, if you haven't signed up for a life group, there are still some, there's still some time. They begin today. Um, during the passing of the peace, somebody asked me, do we have homework? Dan Stump actually asked me that because he's in my group. And I said, Dan, I don't know. Um, so then I went, out and I went out into the lobby and I picked up this helpful reading guide. And I realized that there is homework, Dan. Um, and so our group begins tomorrow night. One of the, some groups begin tonight. Uh, and if you want to participate in this conversation together, you can do that. There's going to be opportunities to sign up. And so the sermons and our conversations and discussions around the Apostles' Creed are going to be in sync together as a hope of entering into uh, this creed that the church has given to us that really points us um, to the God who is revealed in Jesus and whose activity and power and presence is ongoing through the Spirit. So it's going to be a wonderful journey, a wonderful opportunity. Now, by way of, of introduction and Kind of going back to last week, I just want to set the stage again for some of the things that I said about the Creed before we get into what we're going to talk about this morning. So I suggested last week that the Apostles' Creed given to us um, by the church throughout history um, was a creed that was developed early on in its history, and it's a baptismal creed. It's a creed that was used as an education tool. People who were becoming converts to Christianity were needing to be schooled in the ways in the language of what it meant to follow Jesus. And so the church um, attempted through this creed to educate. There would, be, there would be a couple months around this season, actually, where, where new converts who wanted to be baptized would go through um, something like classes, and they would go through, be taught through each of these articles. There are three articles in the creed that talk about God the Father, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. They would be taught these things. And then when it came time for baptism, the creed would be turned into questions. And there would be three questions. Do you believe in God the Father? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? And each time they would be dunked. And it was a way for the church to create disciples and to follow the great commission that Jesus gave in Matthew to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So it's a baptismal creed, and it's a creed that's ultimately an invitation. Now, I suggested that this creed invites us into a type of life. It invites us into, into life with God, that, that we are then engaged with this God who has revealed himself in Jesus, that our life becomes wrapped up in that story. It's also an invitation to remember, to be reminded that our faith has, has a story. That we are not making this up, but we come from a long tradition of people who have been following the way, the way of Jesus. So it's an opportunity, the creed gives us an opportunity to remember that our faith has a story, that it's rooted in history, in the person of Jesus. The creed also invites us to, to foster, to develop um, a posture of discovery. I suggested that, that the creed in, involves us 
calls us into what's called the landscape of faith, that Christianity is something like a landscape, and that we are then called to discover that landscape, and therefore the creed acts as a map, a light, a lens, and a tapestry. That the creed is a map in that it shows us what we're looking at, the things that, that matter, the things that we should be paying attention to, the landmarks. It also gives us language, language that we share together of, of how do we talk about God? How do we think about God? How do we talk about Jesus and the Holy Spirit? It's a light that illuminates those the most significant and important things that we are staking our life upon. It's also a lens. It's a lens that we look through that helps us understand and even interpret Scripture. We need help reading the Bible. The Creed offers us help to show us the ways in which the Bible works and the things that it's wanting to say through the lens, ultimately, of Jesus, whom God has revealed himself through and the presence and power of the Holy Spirit that continues today. It's also a tapestry in that it holds together these many things about Christianity. It holds together that we think about God as God the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. But it's also a tapestry in that it holds us together in a story, in a history of faith, that we across all time and geography are connected through what God has done in Jesus. And if we profess our faith in Jesus, we are then held together with one another. So a map, a light, a lens, a tapestry. So with those things in mind, the creed being an invitation, the creed also helping us navigate this landscape of faith, I want us to say the creed together. So it's going to be on the screen behind me, and we're going to recite the creed together, and then, and then we'll talk about it. So let's, let's do this. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So I asked last week to consider, maybe you spent time looking at this, how you engaged the creed. And so I ask again in our reciting of the creed, what was that like for you? And I imagine that it's different for everybody. Because here we are beginning with the phrase which we're going to talk about today, I believe. And so immediately you are assuming that what follows you are suggesting you believe in. But not only that, that you believe in what follows and what other people as well believe. Now that's qu quite risky. It's quite risky because I would imagine that as you say the words, you wonder, do I believe that? 
or how do I believe that? Or in what ways do I believe that? And then you start to wonder, maybe if you're like me, wait, is what I'm saying and how I would interpret those words the same as everybody else? Because I know what I mean by them, but then that person over there who I don't like very much is also saying it. So what do I do with that? What does it mean to say the words, I believe? What does it mean to hold with others in common this language that we just spoke together? Well, here's what I want to name at the outset. It's impossible. It would be impossible that we all mean the same thing. And why that's impossible is because we are all different people with our own stories, with our own understandings, and our own place in following after Jesus. So what I mean when I say I believe in God, the Father, maker of heaven and earth, it actually is determined based upon my relationship with who God is and what he's like and whom he's revealed himself to be. Even though I would say I believe in what we said together and that it holds us together, there are lots of different ways that we could believe that. So if you're unsettled, in some ways by the creed, because you're not sure where you land on some of those things we just said, that's good. Because as I said, it's an invitation to inhabit or develop a posture of discovery. And part of what means to discover is to wrestle, is to actually be engaged in this life of faith and to to ask questions and to wonder, who do I understand God to be? What does it mean to follow Jesus? What what does it mean that Jesus was God's only son? What does it mean to profess belief in the Holy Spirit? So though this creed unites us, it absolutely does, it actually also works in some ways against uniformity. It holds us in together, but it also allows their space for conversation of sharing it in common to start to discover together what it is we're saying and what it is we mean and what it is we believe. And so it's a wonderfully, I think, freeing creed, not so restrictive. It's freeing because all of a sudden I'm held together with you by this God to whom the creed points that has revealed himself in Jesus and we share this in common And it's beautiful. And it's wonderful. And it's not because we all believe the same exact thing in terms of the language we're saying, but because we believe in the God who has revealed himself in Jesus and continues to work through the power of the Spirit. But we say, I believe. We say it together, even if we're not sure how we do. Now, it reminds me of the story I read in preparation for this of an Orthodox priest who has a spiritual advisor. And in the Orthodox tradition, they actually say the Nicene Creed, which was another creed that was later developed after the Apostles' Creed. But the, he, they would, it's part of their liturgy, part of their worship to say the creed. So as this priest would, in worship, say the creed, he started to have a problem with it, with the creed, because he felt as if there were some things he, couldn't, he could not believe or didn't know what it was he believed about them. So he'd go to his spiritual advisor and he'd say, um, I, can't, 
I can't keep doing this. I don't know if I believe the things that we're saying. To which the advisor would helpfully say, just do it anyhow. Well, the priest would continue to do it, and he would also be more and more and in greater ways disoriented and felt like he was in some ways hypocritical, so he'd go to the spiritual advisor again and say, well, again, I, I, I'm saying this, and yet I, can't I, I don't know if I believe everything that it's saying, to which the spiritual advisor would say, well, say it anyhow. So time and time again, finally, the, the, the priest came back and he said, why do you keep telling me to say it, even if I'm not sure I believe all of it? To which the advisor said, it's not your creed. It's not your creed. You don't own it. It is part of this greater thing called the church and this story that we've been brought into because of Jesus. So if you're wondering where you are and how to locate yourself in saying, I believe, it is not my creed. It is not your creed. It is our, the church's creed. And perhaps that might give us a little bit of help, maybe even a little bit of, of feeling safe in taking the risk of saying it together or even saying things like, I believe. And this is where I think it's helpful to remember that this is a baptismal creed. Because you have to think that people who are getting baptized, or if you've been baptized, or if you're a person of faith at all, you actually don't know what you're getting yourself into. You'd like to think that you know. You just don't. If somebody is getting baptized and their life is becoming identified with Jesus, they actually don't, at that moment, know what life will be like with Jesus for the rest of their life. They can't. In much the same way, like when people get married and they make promises to one another, or even when people have children. In some ways, those are absolutely ridiculous and foolish choices. <laughs> because you have no idea what it is you're doing when you're doing it. You can't. You can't possibly know. You can't possibly know. And what you discover in something like marriage, or even in parenting, is that there is a whole world within a person that you never knew existed. There is a famous saying by, by a person named Lewis Smedes, who at, later on in his life, I think he wrote a letter to his wife, and he said something like, my wife has been married to, um, over the course of her life, 50 different men. The only thing that they share in common is my name. And, and I think that's really fascinating. And one of the things that I think the creed does in this beginning of I believe is that it's first an admittance that we need faith. To say I believe is to suggest that we ourselves are persons who are motivated and have an intrinsic need for faith. We are all people of faith. Even if people don't come to worship on a Sunday morning or profess any type of faith, they are still within a faith system. They are still assuming a way that the world works and how it is, and not, that cannot be proved. Our lives, our lives of faith, it's built upon faith. So to say, I believe, is to first say, I'm a person who is one marked by faith, just by being a human being, and I'm a person who needs faith, even to believe what I'm going to say. 
Now, as we think about the text that was read this morning in Romans 4, and if you want, you can turn there. It's on page 941, 942. And you can turn there in the Blue Bibles, which are in your seats. And I'm just going to be pointing. We're not going to go through the text um, sentence by sentence, but I'm going to be highlighting a few different things as we think about faith, as we think about what it means to have faith or to believe in something. So if to say I believe is an admittance that we need faith, what's most significant is not so much that we ourselves are people who have faith, but what's more significant is the preposition after believe, which is in. I believe in. So what matters is what comes after that in, because that makes all the difference in the world. And so the creed suggests that I believe in God the Father, almighty maker of heaven and earth. See, it's tempting to think that the creed sets us, individuals, up as the ones whose faith matters. But as the creed continues to go, it actually suggests that it's in whom you have faith that matters. And as we think about Romans 4, talking about Abraham's faith, What matters more is that Abraham had faith in God. Verse 16, that is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Go down to verse 20. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham had faith But what mattered more is that his faith was in the God who would do what he promised to do. And so if saying I believe is an admittance that we are people who need faith, saying I believe is an admittance of trust. That ultimately our lives need to be entrusted into the God or in the God whom we can trust above all else. To say, I believe in God the Father Almighty who has revealed himself as Jesus, that is what saves us. What God has done in Jesus. My faith does not save me. Think about that. My faith does not save me. My faith in the God, God is the one who saves me. It reminds me of this other, Karl Barth, who's a famous theologian. A priest came to him. There's lots of stories about priests this morning. So this, a priest, is, but it's not a joke, I promise. So a priest came to Karl Barth and, and was lamenting the fact that, that he had, um, in some ways, lost his faith. So he's telling the story to Barth, and Barth's trying to, trying to get him to, to actually say what it is he came to say. And ultimately, the priest said, well, I guess the most succinct way I can put it is, I've lost my faith. To which Karl Barth says, what makes you think it was your faith to lose? What makes, it, what makes you think it was your faith to lose? Now, this might be a little bit too abstract or heady, but I want you to think about it with me for a minute. 
Because it's easy to think that it is my and the level or the measure of my faith that matters. It does not. It is that my faith is in the God who has come to us in Jesus Christ, who lived, died, and was raised again. My life, hidden with God in Christ, is what matters. The object of faith is what saves. The object of faith is what saves. So if you're somebody who isn't sure if you have faith anymore, the good news is God still is. God still came. God still came to us in Jesus who lived, died, and rose again. God still holds on to you. And that is wonderfully good news. So if you are trying to believe, or if you are trying to have faith, if you are just on your last thread, not sure if you can do it anymore, who said it was your faith to lose, your faith to hold on to? The good news is that God, through Jesus Christ, has come and holds on to us. And our life of discipleship and following is to continually identify ourselves and the way that we live with the person of Jesus. But it's God who saves. And so therefore, the creed, what it teaches us in these words at the beginning, I believe, says that our entire life of faith is an act of trust. And the question becomes, in who are you entrusting your life? Is it in the God who has come to us in Jesus, who lived, died, and rose again? Because if so, and as it says in Romans, we can hope against hope, which is beautiful. So the creed in these words, I believe, is both an admittance of our need for faith, but it's also an admittance of trust. And as a result of that, What matters is that we are continually dependent upon God to increase our faith. The Apostle Paul is constantly putting it back on God to help us with our faith and with our life with him. Here are just a couple passages in Ephesians 1, 17 through 19. I pray that the God of our Father, Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, What are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints? Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works so that no one may boast. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. So faith in Jesus is a gift. If you have faith, It is not because you chose or decided to, because you're smart. No, because God revealed himself to you, because God is a God who wants to be known, So, because God has made it possible in Jesus for us to have faith in the first place. Thinking about the story of Abraham, the the reason he was able to have faith is because God came to him and said, you are going to be the father of all nations. Now go. God came to Abraham which made Abraham's faith possible. God has come to us in Jesus, which makes our faith possible. Alistair McGrath says this, Christianity is about certain ideas which we believe, 
but it is more fundamentally about a God whom we discover to be trustworthy and invite to become the foundation and lodestar of our lives. Faith acknowledges and trusts a God who journeys with us even when we pass through dark times and places. Christianity is about discovering the trustworthiness of God. To recite the creed, to say the creed, the creed points us to the God who is, we discover to be trustworthy because he came to us in Jesus, because he continues to be present through the Spirit. So here's why it's significant, and here's how it shapes us to say the words, I believe, because it's countercultural. As I suggested at the beginning of the sermon, it's, there's some reticence to make a claim, first as a culture, but also as a person. It's hard to make claims. You know, postmodern philosophy, that we don't want any meta-narratives. We don't want something controlling our lives. Stanley Hauerwas puts it this way, we live at a time when we believe we should have no story except the story we chose when we had no story. We call this freedom. I'm going to read it again. We live at a time when we believe we should have no story except the story we chose when we had no story. We call this freedom. We think we are storyless people who at some point, when we are able to choose, we look at all the different stories out there and we choose the best one. That suggests that life, or even like Christianity, is something like living on a balcony, right? So you're on a balcony and you're looking at all these different roads and you can kind of navigate and say, okay, that road leads there, that road leads there. Oh, here's the road I want to go on. We don't, and we don't grow up on balconies. We find ourselves in the road. And we are trying to figure out and discover where it is we should go. Now, if you're a person who thinks that you have chosen the story that you've chosen, you're wrong. Because we, as individuals, we do not sit above all the stories able, in our own way, to make accurate judgments about what is best. It's just not possible. We've all grown up in a story. My story begins in Lancaster, sadly. But, it, it, but how that, and that, that matters, why that forms me and why that shaped me is because, and there are other people who grew up in similar type places, your choices are, it's, they seem limited, right? It seems like there are only very few ways to go. But if you grow up somewhere else, it seems like the world is open to you. What it seems like is, oh, I can just choose where, what is best for me, but that we are not choosing what is best for us. We grow up in a story, and we are living in reference to that story. We grow up in a vision of life. We all have it, and we are living in reference to that vision. But here's the good news. We're not on balconies. We're in the road. We're trying to make our way. But it is there that Jesus comes to us and says, come, follow me. As we are trying to make our way, or we, as we are trying to wonder where we go, we have a God who revealed himself in Jesus Christ saying, come, follow me. Are you tired? Are you exhausted? Come follow me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. That is the good news. 
that God has come to us in Jesus on the road to show us where to go. Otherwise, we are wandering and we are living lives of quiet desperation, constantly wondering where it is we should go, where the truth is and what is best. But that assumes that you are the center of that story. The Apostles' Creed says you are not the center of the story. The center of the story is the God who has revealed himself in Jesus and whose power and presence remains in the Holy Spirit. That is the center of the story. And because that God has come to you in Jesus saying, come follow me, you have an opportunity to learn the way from Jesus to show us how to be, how to live, what meaning looks like, what purpose actually is. God makes that possible. God makes that possible. Again, Stanley Hauerwas, abundant life, the life that Jesus offers, is a storied life made possible by a common life that recognizes that before we were, we were storied by a story we did not choose. It is called creation. It is called redemption. And that story, the story of creation, the story of redemption, makes possible friendships between strangers just to the extent that we learn that we share a common story that we have not chosen. What is abundant life? Abundant life is living and we're following after the God who says to come follow him, learning that we have a story that begins at creation and ends in redemption and makes possible friendship with God and with one another. I mean, that's beautiful. When we say the words, I believe, and we continue to, to, to share and to recite the story of our lives as told, we begin to see the world as it really is, as the God who has created things, me, you, us. It's the God who has brought us into relationship with him, as the God who continues to be present through the Spirit. And so what the creed makes calls us into is to live a life like a pilgrim. To use the language of Eugene Peterson, he says we can either live like tourists or like pilgrims. To be a tourist is to be wandering. To be a pilgrim is to go on a way, and that way is to God. I want to end with John 15, verses 12 through 17. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. Listen to this. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last so that the father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. Thanks be to the God that I, that we believe in. The God who has come to us in Jesus and who has called us friends, who has pulled us into his life to give us a vision of life 
that matters and that means something. A vision of life that we share together so that you, even if I do not know you, and this is your story, you are my friend. And I can't wait to get to know you. A story that means that God himself wants to be known as friend. Thanks be to the God who's changed everything through Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Grace Long Beach podcast. For more information about our church community, values, and service times, please visit www.gracelb.org.